Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Kicking off a brand new series today, a series I have been looking forward to for several weeks, I would say even months, and I'm a little bit nervous that I have more content in my notes today than we're going to be able to get through, but my vow to you is I'm going to keep myself focused so we can get through it because I think there is so much that God has been speaking to me. If you'll do me a favor and if you're able, I'd love for you to stand to your feet as we kick off today. I have some words I want us to say. Over the last several weeks, we've been praying these same repeated prayers together about who we are in relationship to our giving and to our generosity. They're prayers that came when Melissa was up leading us in our giving one week. And I thought, man, that's so good. What God speak, That's what God's speaking to us right now. And so we kicked off praying those over the next several weeks. And we're going to continue praying them at least through the end of this series. But today I wanted us to start off by declaring them over ourselves. So I'm going to say each one, and then I want you in your grown-up voice to say it back to me. You know what a grown-up voice is? Yes, you know you can find your grown-up voice this morning. All right, the first one is, I am a compassionate giver. I have wisdom in my finances, and I live a joyful and abundant life. And I added one more just for this series. Say, I am not afraid. One more time. Say, I am not afraid. Because we're titling these next several weeks on finances, Fearless Finances. As I began to think and to pray about, God, what do you want to speak to us in the area of our finances? I just started hearing all over the fear, the intimidation, the scarcity that's happening in our minds and in our hearts around the things of our finances. And I heard God speaking to me to speak to you. You don't have to be afraid in the area of your finances. That we are not afraid, we are not intimidated, we are not scared or worried about the future. We are not afraid. In fact, we are fearless in the area of our finances. If you can stay standing just for a minute and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be our core scripture. It's Matthew 6 starting in verse 25. Matthew 6, well, I'll just read it from the back for time. I told you I got a lot. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, goes like this. It says, therefore, I tell you, so the words of Jesus, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at all the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
God, I thank you that you see each and every one of us. I thank you that you value us. I thank you that you are the source of our provision. We honor you today. We acknowledge you today. And I just speak to every fear that is holding us in place in the area of our finances, that by the end of today, it will be unsettled. It will be uprooted. It will be thrown far from us, Father God, because we see you as the source of all that we have. I ask you to speak through me today what you've spoken to me in quiet. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. One more time, tell somebody close to you, I am not afraid, and then you can be seated in the room. As we kick off a series on fearless finances, I thought I would start off by telling you the story of a time I was incredibly afraid in finances. Hey, sweet girl that just sat down, I think your friend's trying to find you right here. It's all good. It's just people need to be together. You know what I mean? I could see you. She couldn't see you. Get together. I wanted to kick off our series on fearless finances, telling you about a time that I became very afraid in this area of my finances. This is several years ago. Phil and I had been married for, I don't know, like a year, maybe two years. We're just kind of learning how to do life together, how to run our finances together. We're really stepping into, I think, a more what I would call adult stage. Like we'd been adults for a few years, but now like we're really stepping into some of those adult things. School is over. We're totally on our own. Mom and dad aren't covering like, you know, food bills anymore, all that stuff. We are all the way grown. And I'm at work one day and I get an email and I open up the email and the email pops up and it says in it that we owe a lot of money. So a lot of money is a relative term, but to put it in perspective to you, it's the amount of money that starts having punctuation in it. Okay, so when money starts having punctuation in it, that's a lot of money. It's also the amount of money. So this is probably close to 10 years ago now. And I am grateful and honored to say that I have a more stable positioning in my financial life 10 years down the line than I did 10 years ago, which hopefully is the trajectory of most of our lives, is that we get a better level of understanding. It was the type of number that if I would have opened it today, it still would have made my knees wobble and my stomach churn on the inside. It was that kind of number, okay? So I open it up and all of the blood, and it's like due immediately. It's not like over the next five years, immediately. My blood drains entirely from my body, and I can feel like my mouth is dry. I have, I'm like, what is, there is nothing left. Phil was in the building. We, I don't think he was working here, but I can remember the scenario, but he was in the building somewhere, and so I take my computer with my email, and I go marching in the building, and as I'm marching across the building to try and find him somewhere, I can just feel the panic rising more and more on the inside side of me. Everything that anyone has ever told me about what happens when you can't pay bills that you need to pay and when you have way, I mean, this is like more, whatever the number is for you that you're like, that's like more money than like multiple months of income for me, right? I just want to frame this, whatever that number is for you. That's what this bill is. By the time I get to Phil's office, I like barge in his office. I think he's like on the phone talking to somebody and I'm like, hey, 
hang up. Like, we are talking about this right now. Full-blown panic. I show him the email, and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do, and we don't have anything to do. We don't have that kind of money. And by this point, I mean, there are tears in my eyes. I am in full-blown panic mode. And there's something about money that has the ability to hit our emotions and to hit our panic zone faster than almost anything else. There are lots of feelings and emotions actually that we connect with and that we associate with money and finances. We connect to the idea of happiness with money. And there is some happiness to be found in having money. I know, everyone's always told you money can't buy you happiness. And it won't buy you like the joy that no one can take away. But I told you guys a couple weeks ago about my stick shift car that I didn't know how to drive really and that I had to pray every time I need to find a parking spot. And I think I've told you before about the other car that I used to drive that the gas gauge on it didn't work. And so I was always guessing how much gas was in the car and not in the car. And that I am really happy to tell you that as I prepared to come here today, I didn't have any questions about how much gas was in the car. The gas gauge rang properly. And I didn't have a lot of questions about whether or not this vehicle is going to start or not, which is another car that Phil and I had at one point where we were praying that this thing's going to start all the way up. And that doesn't buy me the joy, that, but it alleviates a stress in my life that makes space for a form of happiness that I am happy to say I have not worried about in a long time. There is a happiness that a steak dinner with a chocolate souffle dessert will buy you that McDonald's does not know how to supply in your life. Okay, there is a form of happiness that money can buy for you. Money can also connect us to the emotion of jealousy almost more quickly than anything else. And this is not new, and it is not new under the sun. It is so old and historic to mankind that God wrote it into the Ten Commandments. He said, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. And coveting is just jealousy all dressed up and ready to go for action. It is the desire to have and to want someone else's something. And we feel this emotion in relationship to our finances because there is always someone who has something that we don't have. And there is always someone who has more than what we have. And there is always someone who has dressed up what they have in a way that we haven't dressed up what we have. And there is something particularly pointed about it in a time and in a day that is so interconnected and is so available. You find yourself jealous and longing for things things you didn't even know existed in the world because at the click of a button, you can find out what someone else has in their kitchen on the other side of the world. And I didn't even know that I needed some of those little Japanese storage unit things because I didn't know they had those over there. But then someone sent it to me in an Instagram post. And I was like, well, how come we don't store stuff like that in my kitchen here? And all of a sudden, I am jealous of something that someone else purchased just on the app. 
absolute other side of the world. Our emotions and our finances are deeply intertwined. But the thing that I hear most often in relationship to our finances is fear. What am I going to do if I don't have enough? And what will I do if I can't connect to the amount of money that I think that I need? And what will I do when a bill comes that is too much for me to pay? And what will I do if I'm never able to earn the amount that I think? And actually, I don't even know if I know how to manage this properly. And actually, I never was taught how to actually sit down and put a budget together. People keep talking about budgets, and I have no idea what they're talking about that I should be doing, and I feel fearful and I feel intimidated and I feel insecure in the area of my finances and Jesus comes along and he's like don't worry about it don't worry about what you're gonna eat don't worry about what you're gonna wear don't even think in fact think about the birds you spend some time ponder and you're like Jesus All I do is worry about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to wear and where I'm going to live and how, what, what are you? My depression is saved from my yesterday, but my anxiety and my worry and my fear is all about what's happening tomorrow, Jesus. Don't talk to me about, don't worry about tomorrow. All I have capacity for in my mind is worrying about and being concerned about what is coming down the line tomorrow. And just like, don't worry about it. And we feel fear around the area of our finances. And it's not without warrant. Listen to these statistics. Check this out. Okay, here we go. 40 million people currently have student loans. And the average student loan amount is $40,000. 6% of people are now 60 days late on their car payment. And maybe 6% doesn't seem that high, but it is the highest number in 40 years. More people are currently defaulting on car loans than they have ever before. 40% of Americans have less than $400 in emergency savings, and 20% of us have none. Somebody say, I have wisdom in my finances. And house prices have increased by 50% over the last decade. I hate to tell you this one. And they are projected to increase by another 50% over the coming decade. But don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Think about the birds of the air. And you're like, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to need more than that, Jesus. (laughs) But here is the thing is that what happens to us is that we start looking at our environment around us as the determining factor for whether or not we get to eat and whether or not we have shelter and whether or not we have clothing. And we start looking at the things that are surrounding us and the things that are happening amongst us and we are paying more attention to those things than we are paying attention to the source of where we really get our supply 
buy from. And we look and we say, what if the economy is doing this? How will I ever succeed? And what if my job is doing this? How will I ever succeed? And what if the people around me are shackled in debt? How will I ever get out of it? Everyone I know has student loan debt and no one is coming out of it. So I guess that's just what, and Jesus is trying to say to them, I need you to stop paying attention to the environment that you live in so much and start paying attention to who is the source of your supply, who is the source of your financial stability, who is the source that you run to. And he says, the birds don't worry about it because they have built into them an understanding that God is their source. They have built into them an understanding that God will supply my needs. They have something on the inside of them that instead of running to it, but we still run to our fears. And we put fear in the driver's seat of our financial decisions. We put fear running and making the, and fear always causes us to shrink. Fear always causes us to be smaller. Fear always causes us to be still when we should be moving and when we should be active. Fear will always create subtraction where God intended for there to be multiplication. Fear will always create in your life less than instead of more than. And we serve a God of more than. If you've gone through Simbis which is our marriage tool that we use for preparing couples to get married as well as strengthening the marriages of couples who are already married. One of the areas that it goes through, it talks about your financial drivers or your financial fears. I think everyone should have to go through it, so I'm going to take you through it this morning. There are four financial fears that tend to drive our decision-making. The first is a lack of of stability. I fear that I will have a lack of stability in my life, or rather that I will have instability in my life. And that fear becomes the driving factor in the financial decisions that I make. The other one is a lack of influence that, that finances gives me influence. Financials give me an ability to have influence in my world, in my life, in the people around me. And I fear losing that influence. And I fear if I lose that influence or if I never gain that access of influence through finances. And so I make my decisions around that perspective. The other is a lack of respect that I feel and I believe that finances give me a level of respect. And what is happening in the area of my finances has something to do with the way that other people see me and the way that other people value and respect me. And so I make my decisions about what I purchase and what I save and what I give and what I spend around what other people's respect in relationship to my finances and my financial capacity might be. And the last one is through the lack of achieved dreams. A lack of achieved dreams means that I see my finances as an avenue to achieving the dreams and the goals and the ambitions that I have for my own life. And I believe that if I do not have these finances, then I will not be able to achieve those things. And I fear that I will never achieve whatever your financial driver is and whatever your fear of not having enough finances is, it's probably coming through one of these four filters that I will lack stability 
ability, that I will lack influence, that I will lack respect, or that I will lack achieving my dreams because we see our finances as the avenue through which we accomplish and we achieve all of those things. And we get our mind fixed on how do I do this thing? And we get our mind fixed on achieving these things and running after these things and we misappropriate and misidentify the source of our uh, the source of our resources and the source of how finances comes to us. And here is the issue when I misidentify who is my source is that when I misidentify who is my source and where is my source, I always diminish the amount of resource and the amount of finance that is available to me and that can come to me and that can flow to me. As long as I see my workplace or as long as I see you as the source of my financial gain and my financial increase, then I am limited to your annual budget. Then I am limited to your opinion of me. Then I am limited limited to your benevolence, then I am limited to the way that you see and you value my work, then I am limited to what my family is or has been or will be or wants to be. But when I see that God is my source, then I understand that I'm not limited by anything that's going on. I'm not limited by the country that I live in and I'm not limited by the economy that's moving and I'm not limited by what's happening in my workplace and I'm not limited by the family that I came to, I see who God is and I know who he is. And I remember stories like Peter having a bill that came up that was far more than he knew how to pay. And Jesus said to him, go get that fish. And he opened up the fish and there was enough money in there for what he needed to pay. I remember stories like Joseph, who God spoke to him through Pharaoh's dream and said, there's a famine coming. So this is what I want you to do. And he gave him a strategy for storing up in the years of plenty so that he would be prepared for the years that were thin. Joseph was not a victim to the economy that he was living in or the environment or the atmosphere or the weather that he was living in. Joseph understood that he was connected to a divine source. I remember what James said in James 1 and 17. He said, every good gift and every perfect gift is coming from above, coming down from the father of light with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I remember what Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. He said, and God is able to make all grace abound so that you having all sufficiency in all things and at all times that you may abound in every good work. I remember what David wrote when he wrote the Psalm. He wrote in Psalm 50, 10 and 11, he said, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hill. I know the birds of the hills and I know that all that is in the field is mine. He's speaking of God looking down at you saying all of it belongs to me and all of it is under my control and all of it is under my command and you're worried about what you're going to eat tomorrow but the cattle on a thousand hill are mine and all of the birds move when I speak to them to move. All of it. I love what he actually says in the next verse. He then says, he says, if I was hungry, would I let you know about it? 
God says, what do I have to do from you? What do I need from you? What do I need to pull from you and to extract? I don't need anything from you because all of it is mine. I was there at the beginning of creation. I was there before time and I was there before space. I was there before food for you to worry about. And I was there before the waters flowed. I was there when the earth didn't know where its line was. And I was there before the flowers came up and before the trees that give you fruit. I was there before all of it. In fact, I'm the one who spoke and it came. In fact, I'm the one who let forth a word and it brought itself out. In fact, I'm the one who told it it could live. And I'm the one who told it it could produce fruit. And I'm the one who breathed life and breath on the inside of you. And that is the God that is your source. Why worry about what you're going to wear? And why worry about what you're going to eat? God can speak a thing and move you into a new space. God can speak a thing and finances can move in your direction. God can speak a thing and open something up, open something up for you. I don't have to why I'm not afraid in the area of my finances because I know who my source is. And what happens when we become afraid is that we begin to eat the thing that is intended to be released through giving to be our seed for our tomorrow. Have you ever seen somebody who um, eats an apple and eats the whole thing? Like core and all? No, I know. Not many of you have the pleasure of having someone in your life who does that. But I have witnessed it. And why did all of you go, no? Because we don't eat the middle part. Because what's in the middle part? The seeds. And actually, if you eat the middle part, it tastes largely like the rest of the apple does. But we don't eat the middle part because the middle part contains the seeds. And the intention, the purpose for the seeds is to be taken for you to eat the flesh of the apple and to take the seeds of the apple and to plant those seeds, to release those seeds from your own hand and put them into the ground. And when you release the seeds from your hand and put them into the ground, they begin to work even when you can't see it. And they begin to work even when it's not yet the season of harvest. And they begin to work even when it seems like the snow is falling in the middle of winter for the time when they will then come back out and produce for you something else to eat in your future. I have no fear in my finances because I know who my source is and because I understand that I have given seeds that go ahead of me and are already producing food for my tomorrow. I'm not concerned about my tomorrow because God has given us the gift of giving and when he gives us the gift of returning to him a portion of what he already gave to us it is not because he needs so much he owns the cattle on a thousand hill it is because he is giving us the opportunity to put something in the ground through our giving that will feed us for tomorrow why worry about tomorrow when you know that you already have seed in the ground for tomorrow there is no reason to fear for your tomorrow when you know who your source is and when you already have food in the ground. 
But even when we know who our God is and even when he has already proven to us how he blesses us, we have a tendency of getting our eyes on our environment and our eyes on our situation and our eyes on our circumstance. And every time we do that, it allows fear to rise on the inside of us as we compare what we're walking through and what we're going through to the situation and the circumstance of everyone else that we know. I'd love for you to turn to the book of Exodus. If you know Bible history, you know we're getting ready to talk about the children of Israel. And they're getting ready to come out of Egypt and make a series of bad decisions. First verse I want to look at quickly is Exodus 12 and 35. It says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they, were, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. Verse 36 says, And the Lord, who? The Lord. the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. This is the Exodus moment. The children of God have been enslaved for hundreds of years, and they are now finally at the moment where Pharaoh has said, fine, let them go away. And they have the audacity under God's direction to not just run for the hills as fast as they can, but also say, actually, on our way out, we'd also like a lot of gold and jewelry and fine linens and everything you have. And the, the people of Egypt were so done with them. And it says God had given them the favor, the capacity to now gain this wealth that they gave it all to them. And so they go out of Egypt, though they had this morning been slaves, they go out that evening walking in the finest riches that were known in the world at the time, covered in gold and in jewels and in fine linens, walking out like kings and queens. And they head into the desert, and it's a few chapters later in Exodus 32, Moses is now up on the mountain with God, seeking God's face and hearing God's direction. And it says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together with Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out. Wait, what? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land. Okay, that's an interesting perspective. Land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off all of your rings and gold that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your, even their kid were wear, kids were wearing jewelry, daughters, and bring them all to me. And so all of the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron and he received their gold from them in hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and he made a golden calf and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. What is going on? 
God has come and has shown himself mighty, and he has given them wealth. He has put wealth, finances, in their hands, and he has walked them out of their place of bondage. In contemporary picture, these are not people who are not part of the body of Christ. They are an image of what it is to move out of spiritual bondage through their physical bondage and move into the freedom that we see in Christ Jesus when we say yes to a life of following him. They are now living in their freedom with the wealth that it comes with, with the abundance that he gave them, but they get nervous in the middle of the desert because it's taking longer than they thought that it should. Because they're looking around them and what they see around them is a desert scope and they're not sure where any food is going to come from. And they're not sure what their tomorrow looks like. And so what they do is they go up to Aaron and they say, make us a calf. And Aaron appeases them. And there are three things that they do in this scenario that I think that we can learn from, that we have the exact same tendency to do. The first thing is that they put the credit in the wrong place. They say that Moses, that man who brought us up out of Egypt, Moses was a key component. I don't want to downsize who Moses is or what his role was and everything that happened. But if it wasn't Moses, it would have been somebody else. Because God brought them out of Egypt. God showed himself mighty. God freed you from your life of sin. God brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God brought you from a life of bondage into a life of freedom. God is the one who said, I know you came in rags, but I'm going to cover you in my robe and in my gold and in my jewels. It didn't have to do with any person. It didn't have to do with your neighbor who brought you. It didn't have to do with the preacher who preached the message. It didn't have to do with your grandmother who prayed. All of them had a role to play in it, but it's God who brought you out out of bondage and into freedom. And when we put our credit in the wrong position, we tend to credit someone who doesn't have the capacity to see us into our tomorrow. There was no capacity to trust in Moses for their tomorrow. But if they would have put the credit in the right place, they would have understood that God was their source and God was their deliverer and I can trust in a God who brought me out of Egypt and I can wait on a God who brought me into my deliverance and I can wait on the God who freed me from Pharaoh's hand who I thought was the strongest stronghold that there ever existed but God brought him low and brought me. I can trust in that God but when I put the credit on a person I don't have the capacity to trust if you're already in my tomorrow or not. The second thing they did is they used what God had given them and turned it into an idol to worship. God sent them out with wealth. God sent them out with financial capacity. And he sends them into the desert. And the intention of this wealth that he gave them is for three things. The intention of this wealth is for it to be used as an offering back to him. God gives them an abundance and is going to say, I want part of that to be returned to me as an offering unto me. 
but they take what should have been their offering, what would be their seed that would produce a harvest in their future, and because they become fearful, they take that thing and they turn it into an idol that's been fashioned out of their own hands that they can make and that they can see and that they can craft, and they say, this thing is now the God that we will serve. The other thing is that God gave them finances for their enjoyment and for their use. He gave them something so that they would have something. But because they became afraid, they didn't even get to enjoy and use the thing that they had been given by God. And the last thing is for stability for their future. So they would have something as they wandered in the desert. So they would have something to build on. But when we get nervous, we eat the thing that God gave us to enjoy for today. And we eat the thing that he gave us for tomorrow as well. And we eat the seed that he gave us to plant, to produce future inheritances for us and for our children's children. And they take that very thing and they become nervous about what they're doing. And they become nervous about the situation that they're in. And more than anything, what they want is something that looks like what everyone else has so that the other people will respect them. They have a God that no one else can see. They are wandering around in the desert and all of the other tribes that they come encounter with, all of the other civilizations that they walk near have idols that they worship and they say, see, that is what we worship and that is what we put our confidence in. And the children of Israel have no one to point to because they don't serve a God that can be formed by your hands and they don't serve a God that is made out of your own imagination. They serve the God who was and is and is to come And they feel like they don't have the respect of the other tribes and that they're not gaining the respect and that there will not be a level of respect for their military power if they don't have something that looks like what everybody else has. Let me break it down. I feel like I don't have the respect of my people and I feel like I don't have the respect of the community that I live in unless I have a house that looks a certain way that I can point to and I can say, see, look, look, this is why you should know that I know what I'm doing with my finances. See, look, look, this is how you should know that we know what we're doing inside our marriage. See, look, look, look at how I drive this fancy car. That's how you know that I've finally made it. that's how I know that the crew I went to high school with will give me respect when I show up to the high school reunion because I'm not still just driving. What I want is I want something external that I can point to and something external. And maybe you don't have a shiny gold calf up in the front of your yard, but I bet there is something in your life that you are hoping if I purchase this thing, then my family will respect me. If I purchase this thing, then my employers will respect me. If I purchase this thing, then the people that I grew up with will finally see and give me the respect. And maybe it will earn you respect in those communities. But you have the potential for trading the offering that God gave to you to give back to him and to use and enjoy for yourself and to invest in your future and create stability for generations to come. And you have traded it for an external symbol, an idol that says, will somebody please respect me? That's exactly what the children of Israel did when they allowed fear to seep on the inside of them. And the last thing they did is they tried to mix together 
their old life and their new life. The way they had known things and done things and the way their God was doing things and the way that God was walking them. Look at verse, I think it's verse 5. I want to look back at this if we can pull up verse 5 again. It says, and when Aaron saw this, he built an altar to the Lord and Aaron made a proclamation. Wait, wait, he built an altar to... Okay, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, before it, there we go. It is the calf, thank you, the idol. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we shall feast to the Lord. What? Okay, now let me explain something. Make sure you understand something. In your Bible, that word Lord is in all caps, like it is here on the screen. There are other places in your Bible where it says Lord that it is not in all caps, right? When some, there's actually like a chapter later, Moses comes down and they say, Lord Moses. There, it's a, it's a sir, would you? But when it's in all caps and it says Lord, it is referring to God himself. It is where they would have written the acronym Yahweh because they considered the name of God to be so sacred that they wouldn't even speak it and they wouldn't even say it. So they came up with these letters that they would write together. And when it became translated into English, the way that we give you that picture and point to who God is by is by taking all capital letters Lord this is not Lord like the Lord of the land this is Lord of heaven and earth God of all creation this is majesty and wonder this is the one and only true God the king of kings and the lion of Judah this is the Lord God almighty and Aaron says to them I made a calf built an altar before it, and tomorrow we're going to give a feast to this Lord, this God of all gods, in front of us. What is he doing? He's trying to take his idol worship and this new thing or this old thing that we had, this way that we learned to worship in Egypt, and he's trying to mix. He still knows he is a follower of God. He is part of the redeemed, and he knows that there's this. We should have a feast to the Lord, guys. There is God did bring us. So let's, let's go before our idol, and let's make a feast to God, and let's try to mix these two things together. And he's trying to mold them because in his fear, he doesn't know how to fully grab on to the new. He only knows how to pull a little bit of what he used to know and a little bit of the new thing. And he mixes it together. And before we start throwing stones, we do it all the time. We take a little bit of who I was back then and a little bit of who God's called me to be and we try and mix it together because we want these two things. He says, come let us have a feast before the Lord and God's feast is always a representation of his acceptance, his abundance, and his forgiveness. The table is the place where we come to exchange with God and he says, I accept you. Come and sit at my table with you. There's abundance I have prepared a meal for you and there is forgiveness because I have taken every shame that you have and given you my love and my kindness and my acceptance and my wholeness and my grace and my righteousness in exchange for what was and Aaron says let's lay out a feast before him and we do the same exact thing we go God I want your forgiveness and I want your righteousness and I want to be accepted by you oh but I still want to live with my boyfriend Because in Egypt, they told me 
that it's a better financial decision. And in Egypt, they told me it was a good way to work things out before we got married and test out if this was really going to work. Which, by the way, if you study it statistically, is inaccurate. It has an inverse effect on the success of your marriage. But we want to mix those two things together. God, I want the feast of your success, and I want the favor that you have for me in the workplace. But I still want to show up late, and I still want to be short with everybody in my place, and I still want to tell them what a grudge it is for me to come out here and work in this, and I still want to talk about my boss behind their back all the time, and I still want to have an untamed mouth and an untamed tongue, and I don't want to do what it takes when you called me into righteousness, and when you called me into wholeness, I want the feast that you have for me, but I still want my idol, God. And we do it with our finances. We say, God, your way is better. Better, your way. Singing. Yes, Jesus. And then someone gets up and they're like, it's our time to celebrate our giving today. And you're like, no, this is my money. And we want to manage our money like it's all our money. And we don't want to return any of our money to the God who was our source, who gave us our money. And we don't want anybody to talk to us about taking our money and giving it to those who are less fortunate than us. Because when we were in Egypt, they told us to look out for ourselves. And they told us to make sure we had enough for ourselves. And they told us to stockpile for ourselves. And they told us that anything you get is from your work and is from your hand. And you earned every penny of that. And you ought to enjoy every bit of it. And you ought to waste it on anything you want to. And we want to combine the idol of what they told us it was to hold our finances in our own hands. And be the masters of our own ships while we still desire the favor of his abundance and the joy that can only be found in him and the wisdom for increase and the wisdom for more and the stability for our children and we want to create generational wealth and we want to create generational futures but we still want to hold on to the idol that this is all mine and God's saying I never asked you for a halfway commitment to me when I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you all the way out of Egypt. You are no longer in bondage and you are no longer enslaved. And so stop talking to me like children of slavery and start talking to me like children of the kingdom. You are owners. You are land possessors. You are investors. You don't have fear of the future. You don't have fear of tomorrow. You don't have fear of what to do with this. You're not afraid when you let some of it go because you know you're not the one who made it anyway. You say every time I let it go I know he can send some of it back to me I have no fear in my finances because I know who my source is I have no fear in my finances because I know who my God is and something happens when we fear that always causes us to make bad decisions but when we stand on his faithfulness and when we say I'm not afraid of having a lack of respect I'm not afraid of having a lack of influence I'm not seeking after what it is to have respect. I'm not seeking after what it is to have influence. I'm not seeking after what it is to realize my dreams and I'm not seeking after even stability in my life. 
Because Jesus ends that segment that we started with in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. If you go back and read the whole section, it's all, all of the things, that, all of the influence that you want, all of the respect that you desire, all of the stability that you long for, all of the dreams that he has placed in your heart, all of those things will be realized, not when we seek after them and not when we hold on with a fear of losing them, but when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with open hands then all of these things get returned to us all of these things come pouring back into us all of these things come returned to us I don't worry about what I eat because I seek first the kingdom of God I don't worry about what I'm gonna wear because I seek first the kingdom of God I don't worry about what tomorrow holds because I seek first the kingdom of God and I came with one intention today and that is to tell you that you do not have to be afraid in the area of your finances if you know who your source is because we seek first the kingdom of God everyone who can stands to my stands to their feet I'm already standing to my feet (laughs) stands to your feet with me I want to pray over us as we finish today. We're going to get into some practical things next week. We're going to talk about mindsets for biblical finances. Phil and I are going to spend some time doing uh, some question and response. We're going to get very hands-on notepad detail with this, but none of that matters if we're still holding fear in our hearts in the area of our finances, if we're still holding worry in our heart in the area of our finances. So everyone who says, today's my day to let go of fear, I just want you to raise your hand straight in the air. Say, I don't fear. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that your word says that we have no fear, Father God. That there is no fear in you. That we are not children of fear, Father God, but that you have strengthened us. I thank you that every person who's raising their hands right now, I speak over their life and I say that fear has no place in your life. That fear has no stronghold in your life. That fear has no reign in your life and has no rule in your life. I declare over you that you are seeking first the kingdom of God. I declare over you that you are seeking first his righteousness. I speak over your life right now that as you seek his kingdom, all of these things are being added unto you. I declare for fear, every fear that was spoken to you as a child to be uprooted in your life. I declare over you right now that that lack mentality is being broken over your life. I declare over you right now that that poverty mentality is being broken over your life. You have access to the King of Kings. You have access to the Lord of Lords. You have access to the one who owns it all. And he says, watch and see how I will open the windows of heaven over your life. Watch and see how I will open the windows of heaven over this church. Watch and see how I will open the windows of heaven over this city. Because I am not a God of smallness. I am not a God of lack. I am not a God of nothingness. I am not a God of shrinking back. I am a God of more than enough. There is no fear. No fear. No fear. Everyone who says I'm accepting that there is no fear in my life, 
right now what some of you need to do. You know I need to break that fear in my life. There's a fear that's holding on to me that I'll never have enough. There's a fear that's holding on to me that I'm never gonna make it up. There's a fear that's holding on to me that I'll never achieve what I once thought I would achieve. And listen, it's a weird time. I wanna speak especially to my millennials right now. The life that you envisioned for the financial climate of your adulthood is not the one you imagined in your teen years. I get that. But I'm telling you, this financial climate is not your source. God is your source. And he will flourish you in the midst of desert places.